The message this morning is the big four. The big four. It's an exhorting message where I'm exhorting you to do something. In fact, to do four things. And we're going to begin our reading in the book of Ephesians today, chapter number four. And then if you find Ephesians chapter four, quickly go over to 1 Peter and we're going to read a verse or two from there and also one from 2 Peter. So three passages to find in your Bible, Ephesians 4, 15, 1 Peter 2, 2, and 2 Peter 3, 18. And when you find them, stand to your feet with me and we'll look in God's Word together. Ephesians 4 and 15. Paul here is writing to the church, a local church like ours at Philip at uh, Ephesus, and he writes, but speaking the truth in love, and that's the part of the verse that's familiar people know about, but look at the next part of it. Grow up into him in all things, even, or which is the head, even Christ. Grow up unto him in all things. So Paul exhorts the people, grow up grow up. Now we go over to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. And the apostle Peter does the same thing. He exhorts us to grow. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. And go on with me now to the next book, the little book of 2 Peter chapter 3, the last verse in the book. Chapter 3 and verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Three verses, and all of them say the same thing, grow, Christians, all of them written to Christians. Grow, Christian, grow, Christian, Christian, you need to grow. I'll let you be seated, please. Now, I have a question for you. We began today with a question. Are you a growing Christian? I've given you three verses. I could have given you several more, but time would not permit. The question is, are you a growing Christian? The Bible says much about it. The reason I say that is because growing Christians are happy Christians. Growing Christians are healthy Christians. Christians who are not growing, who have leveled off in their life, and they're not growing many times, even regressing in their spiritual life, they're not happy and healthy people. But spiritually, God's desire is for you and me to grow. Now, listen to me. Growth doesn't just happen. There aren't a few people in our church sprinkled through here, and they're the lucky ones. And God said, okay, I'm going to make that one to where they grow, but this one over here, they're on their own. Uh-uh. It's the same for every one of us. Growth doesn't just happen. Salvation, of course, is by grace through faith. No works attached to it in any way has nothing to do with human effort, but Discipleship, growing in grace, has everything to do with, this, with, with our growth and our efforts. The Great Commission is for us to make dis- disciples, and that requires effort. 
That requires effort on the person who is being discipled, who is growing, and it requires effort on the person who is discipling them. Both parties in the discipleship relationship, they must understand the importance of their effort in it, that it's not going to just happen. It requires discipline, which is a dirty word, a 10-letter dirty word in America today, discipline. But it's a very necessary part of life if we're going to make the progress the Lord wants us to. It requires diligence to grow. It won't just happen. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, if you want to be my disciple, does anybody here want to be his disciple? I'm sure you do. If you want to be my disciple, then you must first take up your cross. That's self-denial. That's sacrifice. That's effort. And then he says, you must deny yourself. Boy, how hard is that? Deny yourself and then follow me. And to follow Christ means you can't always carry out what you want to do. Somebody said it beautifully. The conversion of a soul or salvation, the conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment. But the making of a saint is the task of a lifetime. I've lived a long time. I've been very blessed. I'm still working on me. I'm still conscious that I need to grow. I haven't worked all the flaws out of my character yet. I haven't reached perfection in any sense of the word, not in any area of my life. And I'm not trying to be falsely humble. I think it's pretty evident if you're around me enough that I'm not a perfect person. And so I need to grow, and you need to grow. I have never met a member of this church yet that had attained a level of spirituality that we said, you just know, you know, you're, you're there. You just kind of hang around. Maybe it'll rub off on the rest of us. But we've never met anybody like that. You and I need to grow. And just as our physical health requires a few basic things, nutrition, what we eat, it requires exercise, it requires rest, and there's some other elements there. But just as our physical health requires certain things, so our spiritual health also requires certain things that we've got to do if we're going to grow. And I call those four things the big four. I hope you might write them down today, make some notes, and remember them because they're very important. The big four are four disciplines that are absolutely essential if you want to grow in your spiritual life, if you want to be Christ's disciple. The word disciple is an interesting word. And uh, we, the word disciple has the idea of one who is a learner. But the word disciple has the same root word as the word discipline. Isn't that interesting? And so you look at those two words and they look very much alike. The disciple who is the learner who is following Christ and the discipline, which I believe is necessary to become the disciple. In fact, there is no learning without discipline. Boy, that ought to be paid as a consultant to the public school system about that. Where there is no discipline, there is no learning. 
And America today doesn't like the word discipline. That's why I said it's a, a dirty 10-letter word because people in America have abandoned the idea of discipline being a, a necessity. In fact, when I look around at America today and our culture, what we're seeing is what happens when a people decide to live without discipline, to live without any boundaries, to live without any rules, to live without any limits in their life. Whatever I want to do is okay. And that's the philosophy today that is prevailing in our culture. You and I as Christians must be very careful that we don't buy into that because we're going to fail if we do. And so the big four, four disciplines that you must have in your life if you're going to grow and develop as a Christian. Four practices that need to be a regular part of our routine. Four habits that we develop that are essential to our spiritual growth. Number one, you must make time for God's Word. Maybe you thought I'd come up with something that you'd never heard before. Well, I, really, I can't. I can't. But you must make time for God's Word in your life and do it on a regular basis. You see, the Bible is where we get our spiritual food, our nourishment. It is our diet. The Bible is the Christian's diet. And a healthy diet will, all other things being equal, make us healthy people spiritually. In the book of Job, Chapter 23 and verse 12, Job said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth. That's the word of God. I've esteemed the words of his mouth, my necessary food. Job said, I must get into the word of God if I'm going to be nourished. I heard a preacher one time preach on that text. And he said, I have a rule in my life and it's no Bible, no breakfast. No Bible, no breakfast. I'm not going to eat breakfast. I'm not going to feed my body till I've fed my soul. I thought that's a pretty good little practice that he is telling us about there. Job said that, I've esteemed the words of God's mouth, his word, my necessary food. We feed ourselves on God's word. First Peter 2, 2, we read the verse. The Bible refers to itself as milk. We know that children live off of milk for the first period of their life. And then in Luke chapter 4, the Bible refers to itself as bread. Jesus actually called it bread, the bread of life, the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, it refers to itself as meat. In Psalm 119, the Bible refers to itself as honey, and it talks about how delicious and how sweet and how good it is to our taste. And then in the book of Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 11, the Bible is referred to as apples. So we have fresh fruit, we have milk, we have meat, we have bread, we have honey that makes things good. We have everything that we need in the Word of God. And there's other foods that are mentioned there in relation to it. Are you feeding yourself and are you feeding yourself regularly? Are you a Christian who is practicing good nutrition in your life? The Word of God is the key to that. What would happen to me if I start eating one meal a week on Sunday morning? Well, you'd say, well, after a couple of weeks, you'd start becoming kind of weak. You'd lose weight. You would, uh, you'd start shrinking up. 
And uh, after a little while, if you ate one meal a week, you'd be a weak person. You'd probably get sick. Some disease would attack you. I say it to you in love. That's what some of you are doing. You're eating one meal a week. Your Bible has dust on it at home. And you come to church and you think, I'm going to give you one big meal and you're going to live off of it for a week? Uh Uh-uh. You're kidding yourself, friend. No, no. You've got to feed your soul on God's Word, and you've got to do it regularly, and you've got to do it faithfully, or you are going to be a weak Christian. It's not a matter of if you're going to fall. It's just a matter of when you're going to fall. If you're not feeding your soul regularly from the Word of God. In Psalm 1 and 2, it talks about a man who delights himself in the law of the Lord. He delights in it. It's not a boredom to him. He feeds all his inner man is nourished off of the word of God. And you know what God said about that man? If he delights himself in the law of the Lord, he flourishes. He's like a tree that's planted by the river. All other things being equal, a tree planted by the river is going to be a healthy tree. All other things equal. A tree planted by a river is going to be a fruitful tree. It's going to bear whatever type fruit that it's supposed to bear. And that's God's picture of the man who delights himself in the law of the Lord. In the book of Joshua, chapter 1 and verse 8, it's the only time in the Bible the word success is used. Then thou shalt be a good success. Well, What comes before the then? It is the person who daily meditates in the Word of God morning and night, it says. In other words, the Word of God is always before them. The Jews had a practice, and it's a good one, and some of you do this. I go in your home, and there's a plaque, and it has Scripture up there and reminders of the Word of God. I've seen people put it on the dashboard of their car. I've seen people put it in other places where all All the time, they're being confronted by their responsibilities to the Lord through His Word. They're feeding their souls. Today, study Bibles are very, very popular with people. And I use several study Bibles. Many of them are very good. Some of them are not so good, but most of them are very, very, very good. They help us to feed our souls. But let me tell you something. The goal of the Christian is not just to learn the notes in the study Bible. The goal of the Christian should be, I want to learn to feed myself. I want to open up my Bible, get my pen and pencil. I want to look at the Word of God. I want to read it really, really, very, very slowly. I want to absorb it into my very inner being. I want to feed my soul off of the Word of God, and I'm going to write that down and capture that thought, and I'm going to keep that thought because someday I'm going to need that thought. And learning to feed yourself, and by the way, you can do it. You can learn to study the Bible for yourself and feed your own soul and be strong in the Lord. That's number one of the big four. Number two of the big four, you must pray. You must pray. You must not only feed your soul, but you must pray. And so we have this little thing we say here at the church, but it's been a long time since I've preached like this. And we usually say, you know, begin the day with the Bible in your lap and your knee bent at the throne of grace. Begin your day 
with the Word of God. Make time for God's Word and then prayer. Also, bending your knee at the throne of grace. You see, prayer is communication with God. Prayer is communication. It's not you repeating a bunch of religious phrases that you've picked up in the years you've attended church. It's talking to the Lord. It's talking to the Lord like you would talk to your husband or wife, like you would talk to your child, like talking to a friend. It's communication with God is simply talking to the Lord. And the reason for that, listen to me, hear me, I don't want you to miss it. Healthy relationships require communication. Healthy relationships require communication. If you've got any kind of relationship with anybody, with another person, you absolutely must be communicating with them. You must be talking to them on a regular basis. Do you know in my years of being a pastor and people come in and tell me about their marital problems, you know what the number one thing I hear when there's problems in a marriage? He doesn't talk to me, preacher. She doesn't talk to me. We never sit down and have a good conversation back and forth where we're talking to one another, really seeking to understand one another, to to communicate at a heart level, at a very deep level together. We just never do that. It's superficial. How are you doing? I'm okay. How are you? That kind of stuff. But we never really talk. We don't communicate. And in our spiritual life, if we're not really talking to the Lord, If we're really not communicating with Him, meditating and thinking and spending time and talking to the Lord Jesus, well, if we're not doing that, we're not going to have a healthy relationship. Prayer is an essential. And God over and over in the Bible invites us to talk to Him, doesn't He? I just, I don't know if I could count the many times that He wants us to pray to Him. Jeremiah 33, 3 call unto me. There he's at. He's saying to you, come on, communicate with me. Talk to me. Call unto me and I will answer you. He promises an answer there. And then in the book of James, you have not because you ask not. There are things I'd like to do for you, Christian, but you won't even talk to me about it. So I'm withholding things that I would like to do for you otherwise. And then there's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be careful for nothing, meaning be, don't worry. Don't be full of care for anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, in everything, think about that word, in everything by prayer and supplication, make your request known unto God. And over and over and over, he's inviting us to come to him. Matthew 7 and 7, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. Everyone that knocketh it shall be opened, he says. And so over and over, God is saying, come to me, my people. You're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. I gave the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ for you. Come on and talk to me. Let's get to know each other. Let's, let's have an intimate relationship, not a superficial relationship. You must pray. The big four, number one, you must spend time with God in His Word. Number two, you must pray. What are the elements of prayer? When I, when I pray, 
as I did before the service this morning, early at home in my study, again when I got to my office here today, I pray with an outline in my mind. Now, a great outline you can use, and it's probably the best one, is the Lord's Prayer itself, because the Lord's Prayer is not for you to repeat a rote group of words. The Lord's Prayer is a model prayer. It's a pattern where we learn to pray in a way that the Lord has instructed us. I use a little four-part outline in my mind when I pray. Number one, I begin with thanksgiving, and I think of the things that I'm thankful for. And so I go through them, and I try to I try to mentally think of a bunch of things, all the things that I'm really thankful for. I, I don't always list them down because I find that the lists get old with me. But I, I can say, Lord, I'm thankful for, and then the things that I'm truly thankful for. I, I enumerate them. I, talk, I tell the Lord that. I think he wants to hear that. I like it when my kids come to me and say, thank you, Dad, for whatever it was they want to thank you. That pleases me. How much more would it please my Heavenly Father if I come and, Heavenly Father, thank you for my life, my health, this beautiful day you've given me for our church, for being able to go today and worship you, Lord, to meet my friends and the people that I love the most in all the world that are gathered here together today. Thanksgiving. My second point in my outline is confession. And so I go through my mind, and I think about where have I failed the Lord? Where have I neglected to do something I ought to do? Sins of neglect as well, omission as well as sins of commission, things that I've done. And then the third part of my outline is intercession. And I think, who do I need to pray for? And so that, that's going to be in my mind. Last night, I got a text, and the text was that Doug and Shirley Freeman's a grandchild has uh, had, had some problems medically, and they've taken him to Columbia. And so I was aware of that this morning. Brother Clayton sent me the text. And so I know they need my prayers this morning early. I text them about 7 o'clock, and I said, I'm praying for you right now. I, I knew it would encourage them. And I think of all the people, the missionaries, the church ministries here, the people who are in the hospitals, the people who are are bereaved. They've lost a loved one this week. Steve Miles' mother died last night. And so Steve needs to be lifted up with our prayers. And you just go through, my, there's my family needs and all these intercession, intercession. And then the fourth part of my outline is, I, is what we call supplication. And that's where I pray to the Lord for my own needs. I pray for Bill Monroe and the needs that I have in my own personal life. Four points. Begin with thanksgiving. Confess your sins. Pray for others. Pray for yourself. And you can use your own outline. You don't need to use mine. That one works for me. And I use that almost every day, I would say. And I come to the Lord with that in mind, using that little... Uh, device, if you will, to help me remember the things I need to pray for. Open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11 today, and I want to turn you to a passage that I originally hadn't intended to ask you to turn to, but it's such a wonderful verse on prayer. Maybe my favorite verse in the whole Bible on prayer. Hebrews 11, 
Verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And then it changes subjects after that colon there. He that cometh to God. Now, hold on. Stop and think about what is coming to God. It's coming to God in prayer. He's talking about prayer. If you come to God in prayer, you, number one, must believe that He is, that He exists. Do you really believe there is a God in heaven, the God of the Bible, and et cetera, that we learn about and teach about here? I come to the Lord, first of all, that He really is there, that He exists. The second thing, that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. That if I diligently seek the Lord, He's going to hear me and He's going to reward me for it. And that's in the middle of the faith chapter. Look at the first phrase, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. I've got to believe that He is who He says He is, and I've got to believe that if I come to Him in faith, He's going to reward me. He's going to hear my prayer and answer it. I've got to pray with faith. You know what that verse is teaching? Listen to me, my friend. That verse is teaching you that your prayer life is the measure of your faith. And if you're not praying, you don't have any faith. If you pray in a little bit, you have a little bit of faith. If you're praying a whole lot, you've got a whole lot of faith. The measure of your faith is your prayer life. Are you coming to the Lord, believing He's all that He says He is, and that He's going to reward those? And it's diligently seeking, diligently, diligence, back to the discipline, back to the habit. My child, who opens his wor- my word every day and seeks my face, whether it's early in the morning or late at night, my child, who believes in me and comes to me, the Lord is thinking and is seeking me and seeking my will in his life. I'm going to answer him. The other day, somebody sent me a, a YouTube video from it was about Tucker Carlson. You know, the big news in America is Tucker Carlson got fired by Fox Network. And Tucker didn't know he was going to be fired the very next day. And he's speaking at the Heritage Foundation's banquet. And he spoke for about 25 minutes. And wonderful, wonderful talk. I listened to it all. And midway the talk, in a secular audience, in a secular situation, Tucker Carlson the man who has had 58 million hits on his speech since he was fired less than a week ago. 58 million people have gone to hear what he had to say. In the middle of his speech, Tucker Carlson says, I ought to be praying 10 minutes a day for my country. I, now, I've listened to Tucker Carlson other things, and he needs to clean up his mouth. He's not, he's not uh, you know, he's not next to Jesus Christ on the throne, I can tell you. Like myself, he's a sinful man. But do you know what he said? Just out of the blue in the middle of his speech. I ought to be praying for the country 10 minutes a day. The country's falling apart. Everybody knows that. Why are we not praying? 
How much time have you prayed for Joe Biden? It's hard to pray for Joe Biden, isn't it? I mean, everything in me says, I don't want, I don't want to pray for him. But he's the president. And we're to pray, first of all, for those that have rule over us. How many times have you, how much do you pray for the Senate and the Congress and the Supreme Court? Well, we like to cuss them. If we prayed for them as much as we cussed them, we, we, we might have a different result in our country today. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and what? Pray and seek my face, I'll heal their land. So there must not be enough prayer going up right now to heal our land. The big four, number three, you must be involved in your local church. You must be involved in a local church. What is the church? The church is the assembly of, listen to me, define it, the gathering together, the assembly of born-again, baptized people. The born-again, baptized people are the local church. It's not the building, just the shelter under which we gather. It's not a denomination. It's the people, the born-again, baptized people of the Lord who gather together. Remember in Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible says that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Jesus loved the church. He calls it his bride. He loves it like a man loves a bride. Does that mean he loves the universal, invisible, that all the people in the whole world, as you hear on Christian radio most of the time? I don't think so. You know who I think that's talking about? Local churches. Everywhere there's a local church that honors him and is true to his word. Christ loves them. Picture with me. He's up there somewhere in heaven, and he's looking down on this congregation right now. And as he looks down on this congregation, don't y'all have a picture about that there somewhere? As he looks down on this congregation, he loves us. He says, those are my people. Those are people that assembled together today. They left all of their other pursuits in life, and they came together in my house so that I could be there. They're there worshiping me. They're there giving their money sacrificially to me. They're there singing praises to my name. Those people really do care about me. Those people love me, and it pleases the Lord when he sees his church. He loves his church, and he gave himself for it. You know why I emphasize that? There's a whole trend in our country today where people say we don't need the church. We don't need the church anymore. My Christianity, my faith is personal is what we're hearing. My faith is individual. I don't need to go to church. I can stay home with my family, read a few scriptures, pray, and uh, have a little devotional time, and, and that's all we need. No, 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 that's not God's plan. That doesn't send any missionaries. If, you th if you're thinking of that in your world, there'll never be any missionaries go out from that. There'll never be any strong soul-winning evangelism efforts go out from that. There'll never be any people taking a stand that will have any consequence in the community with that.
No, the Lord needs all of us. He needs all of his children. I have a little thing every, week, every month, you know. We call it Meet the Pastor, and I invite people to come and hear about what is involved in church membership. I begin every time talking to them about the biblical basis for church membership. I always tell them, I say, you know, in our world today, there's a trend in don't join a church. It's just kind of float around, go to whichever church you want to go to, or never join a church. Don't go to church, read your Bible, stay home and pray, and that kind of thing. I said, but the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches church membership. But I don't know if I've shown you that, and if I have, it's been years. Turn in to Acts chapter 1 with me. Let me show you why the Bible teaches that people ought to be members of a local church. And you'll find it in Acts chapter 1 and in verse number 15. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, and he said, parenthesis, the number of names together were about 120. Uh-oh, he is in the midst of the disciples. All the people that are on the earth that are Christians are gathered there in one room, and there's only 120 of them. And Peter stands up, and he's looking at the, all the Christians that are on the earth probably at that point. 120 names. They have a church membership role. Note that. They know who's the member. They got the names, addresses, phone numbers, email. They can call them together and say, we need to pray about something. There's an organized structure there, if you will. And then in chapter 2, Peter stands up and preaches at Pentecost, and thousands of people come to know Christ. And we go down to verse number 41. They that gladly received his word were baptized. First thing after salvation is baptism. And the same day there were added unto them. Wait a minute. Who is the them? The them is the 120 names back in chapter 1 and verse 15. So in one day, that little church went from 120 to 3,120. God just rained down a blessing like perhaps he's never done before, and they knew everyone. They added them to the church role. Church membership is taught in the Bible and other places as well, but that's all I have time for today. And we gather here to worship God. We're doing that right now as our thoughts are directed toward Him and His Word and His will. And then we are gathered here for evangelism. Outside the church, we go and spread the truth of God's Word, the gospel. And then inside the church, because every Sunday almost there are people here who need the gospel, and people get saved here regularly. And then we're here for discipleship, to preach and teach the Word to edify and build up one another, to encourage one another, to pray for one another. We're here to fellowship, more than a social fellowship. We're going to do that tonight. But you know something? There's a deeper bond that holds us because we're with the people who believe what we believe. And we have this common belief, and we rejoice together. And sometimes we suffer together it's also a place where we can serve. We can minister to one another. And service is not only for other people. We serve for ourselves. You know what? 
the greatest thing you can do for your spiritual growth, if you're doing the first two, is to serve the Lord if you're not already serving. You'll grow as you serve, as you minister to others. The big four and number four. Number one, you must make time for the Word of God every day. You've got to feed yourself. Number two, you must pray. A healthy relationship demands communication. Number three, you've got to be involved in the life of the church. That's the way God set it up. A corporate structure of fellowship and love and service and evangelism and all those things I've talked about. And number four, you must witness. You must witness. I, I beg people to witness. We have programs to witness. Many people sit and look at me. I'm not, if you witness, I don't know about it. Perhaps you do. I hope you do. But uh, we must witness. Go to Acts chapter 1 again in your Bible. We're gonna, you probably still have it pretty close by. Acts chapter 1. I want to show you three verses that uh, are my philosophy of evangelism and witnessing. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, which he does at salvation, and you shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. You shall be witnesses. Underline that in your Bible. Nothing to pray about. I mean, you shall be. That's a command. That's a clear declarative statement. The Lord said, if you're a Christian, you're supposed to be a witness. Okay? That's 1-8. Now go to 8-1, chapter 8, verse 1. And let's compare these two passages. And in chapter 8 and verse 1, Saul was consenting unto the death of Stephen. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad. And so the church was scattered out. Jesus said, you're to be my witnesses. Then persecution came, and he scattered them all over the place. Go down to verse 4. And they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, preaching the Word, witnessing, sharing the gospel, proclaiming the truth of God's Word, everywhere. And wherever they went, they won people to Christ, and churches sprang up, and Christianity spread across the entire Roman Empire in the next three centuries or so. Now, you know what I've noticed? I've noticed that the churches that take witnessing seriously grow and they prosper, and the churches that refuse to listen to that, and the Christians individually who never become witnesses for Christ, they wither and they die. They wither and they die. There's an old saying, evangelize or fossilize. Not to be offensive, don't we have some fossils around here? Some Christians who just dried up a long time ago, no, I'm not going to do any of that big four stuff. I'm just going to, I'm going to come to church, be a good church member. Listen to me. I plead with you. You witness not only for the people you're sharing the gospel with, you witness for yourself. The greatest joy I ever experience is when I can lead someone to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those that refuse are not going to grow. You must do it. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. The reason I came to the earth is to win people to Christ to myself. And so he said, I want you to be my witnesses. And boy, witnessing, I'll tell you another thing, it'll, do, it'll keep you on the straight and narrow. 
It's hard to talk to people about Jesus when you know you got something in your life that didn't, shouldn't be there. Now, I want to give you a visual here. I, I have a wheel, and the wheel represents your entire life. There it is, a growing Christian. And uh, the center of that wheel, the hub of that wheel, is Jesus Christ. And the four spokes around it are the four, the big four, witnessing, the Bible, prayer, and the local church. Those four spokes comprise the wheel of your spiritual life. And if you want to be a growing Christian, Christ has got to be the hub. That's, that's the main thing. You've got to start there. You're not going to do the other four things until Jesus is central in your life. God's plan is that Jesus be the hub of my life, that he be the center of my life. Not my career. My career is being a pastor. But my career, I can't put the church there at the center. I've got to put Jesus at the center. It's not my career, my profession, my job. It is with most people in America. Most people in America, their career is the hub of their life. It's not my family. My family is important. But you know what? Families break up every day because, not because there wasn't somebody trying to have a good family, but Jesus was not central in their life. It's not my family. It's not my friends. It's not my hobbies, my activities. It's not golf or fishing or TV or the Internet or the social media. It's Jesus. Jesus must be the hub of a growing Christian's life. And the big four then bring us close to Him. Time in God's Word, prayer, involvement in His church, and lastly, witnessing for Him. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4, listen to this, and you might want to jot it down. Christ who is our life, is the way that verse starts. That tells me Jesus has got to be the center. He's the source of my life. But He's also the significance of my life. Life has no meaning if all we're going to do is end up in a hole in the ground. Jesus is the satisfaction of my life. Obedience to Him is what brings me joy and peace. Jesus is the strength of my life. John 15, 5, without me, you can't do anything. Jesus is the center of my life, and the big four keep me close to Him, a healthy, growing Christian. I ride the bicycle for my exercise, and uh, I try to ride three, four, five times a week if possible. And I was looking at my bike the other day, and uh, got a picture of it. There's the hub, the back wheel. And up front, you've got a pretty big wheel. And the pedals come out of that. And my feet go on that, and I pedal. And then the energy, the strength, is, goes along that chain. And then in the back, there's a series of smaller gears or hubs, if you will. And that energy from my legs goes into that hub and then it's dispersed through that whole back wheel. 
And if it weren't for that being in the center of the wheel, the wheel would have no energy. All that energy goes right out through that wheel, and the bicycle moves along the road. Jesus Christ is the hub of my life. The power comes through the hub. The power is not in me. The power is in the hub. And if Jesus is central in your life, you're going to be a happy, healthy, growing Christian. There they are, the big four. Four disciplines to cultivate daily. Four habits. Four essentials for an effective life, a life with substance, a life that matters, a life that will count for all of eternity. It starts with one decision. I'm going to surrender my life to Christ. I'm going to be obedient to Him, and I'm going to learn to practice those things. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.